Hey, welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. In this episode, we've got Justin, who heads up the partnerships team at Misfits GG. They're hardcore into their franchise leagues around the world, Overwatch, Call of Duty, and also League of Legends over in Europe. And they're very strong with their roots in Florida. We chat about how the local government and operations there are funded over 220 grand worth of money into the team to help them to set up an office there. We talk about how much their staff are earning. We talk about their revenue numbers. We talk about how to get new brands into esports sports and also how not everything's rosy over the coronavirus period. There are some ups, there are some downs and what misfits are looking forward to in the future. I really enjoyed this conversation for one specific reason because it was really laid back and casual. I think, you know, Justin and I have actually never really talked before, just a little bit on LinkedIn, but I was able to get an honest take on so many things and, you know, I felt like it was a fantastic conversation. I hope you enjoy this and I hope you enjoy kind of the direction that a lot of the content is going here. Over the series of time in the past two years or so since I started the podcast, um, you know, I started off very, I feel mechanical, you know, I'd give like a scripted intro, I'd always have questions that were pre-prepared a couple of weeks before, but now what we actually do is I don't prepare the questions at all until just before we go live, and they're usually just only discussion points, and then we flow and we see where we go from there. So if you enjoy this style of content, if you enjoy the other, please reach out to me personally or reach out to Big Esports and let us know, and please feel free to leave a rate, leave a review, and let us know what you think of this as a whole, and thank you so much for your support so far. Enjoy. We're live. Justin, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good, man. Pretty good. We were bonding before over our um, joint quarantine haircut issues. Yeah. Both feeling like we need a bit of a shave at the La- moment. Yeah. Lo- uh, lack of haircut issues, basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty true. Yeah. And yeah. I, from my understanding, um, you know, you, you're in Florida, so the coronavirus mm-hmm. pandemic situation isn't isn't the best over there. Yeah, it's been, uh, luckily, we've done a little better recently. I think people down here saw this, you know, this immediate spike, and then I think got back to maybe taking things a little more seriously. But at the same time, um, nowhere near as safe as we'd we'd like it to be down here. Um, But, you know, my wife and I are pretty quarantined where we don't really go out, and we have two little kids, so we're just, you know, we're home, and and that's kind of it anyway. So uh, we're not missing out on too much. Yeah, here in um, here in I live in the state of Victoria in Australia or New Melbourne, and we're in a pretty serious. I think we're, from my understanding, we're probably in the strictest lockdown of anywhere in the world at the moment. We're in like a stage four, so you can only go outside for an hour a day. Only one person from each asshole can go to the shops. We've got an eight pm curfew and mandatory masks, and you can only travel a maximum of five kilometers, which is around three miles from your house without a permit. So if you're going wow. to so if you need to go to work, it's only essential workplaces that are open. So we're like equivalent to Walmart, Target, all that's closed. It's supermarkets only that are open, wow. you know, butchers and chemists. That's about it. And, you know, gas stations, but they're not being used very much, obviously. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, yeah. hopefully we, uh, you know, get on the, over the hump with this thing and, and start to see some semblance of normalcy other, other countries have. So hopefully, hopefully uh, your state and us, we can, we can get back to, going outside further than three miles so hopefully yeah yeah exactly i mean how how has how has things changed for you personally like are you working out of a misfits office generally and you're now working from home yeah so we were um ben loves i I like it too ben likes people in the office i I think having your teams there together uh, i mean teams i mean like you know your social team graphics content pin you know, pinging ideas off one another, talking about what's coming up. How can we do different things? How can we, you know, work together? I think 
breeds a lot of cooperation and coordination that way. Um, so mm-hmm. us having to close our office, it was, you know, everyone was like, all right, go work from home. We had some people who, you know, Florida's not their their original residence. So we had people go home, home. We had some people go to California, Canada, and then they got stuck there. So, you know, oh, wow. and now it's like, we don't know what we're, when we're going to open back up. Um, I think the goal now with, with seeing how Florida's progressing, we're thinking probably another month or so, October, maybe November, we've been building a new HQ that because of this COVID, we kind of, I don't want to say stopped operations on the, or building the new place, but took a, went a lot slower um, with construction. So, but when that opens back up, we'll be in there um, working full time. And yeah, it made, it made things, a lot of stuff closed. We were about to host uh, a homestand event for Overwatch League and they canceled it literally uh, the Wednesday. We were supposed to have event stuff there Friday and walkthroughs Thursday with the league. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of immediate drastic changes had to be made. Mm, yeah. And that's a, I guess it's a, it's a topic that I didn't necessarily think to talk about, but it obviously makes sense. So, you know, I made some content around um, like all the positivity around esports online, you know, people saying it's booming, you know, especially due to the coronavirus pandemic, people are stuck at home, but I feel like that's only, you know, 40% of businesses are doing that. Because if you think about, like you're saying with that that homestand event, someone owns that arena that isn't getting mm-hmm. that patronage now. Someone supplies the food and beverages of that arena. Um, someone's probably organizing the travel for the players to attend. Um, people are, you know, reliant on live activations for certain sponsor things too. So yep. I'd be interested to, to learn from you. Like, you know, I'm sure you guys have some wins over the coronavirus pandemic, but also some losses as well. Like, is that, has that balanced out for you? Canceling everything? Um, yeah, I think we've, I think we've done a good, I mean, from an overall revenue perspective, we, we took a little bit of a hit because we were so close to our date to cancel. I think, I think had our homestand been further out, it would have been a lot better off. Obviously, you don't have that huge cost, but because our event was literally canceled two days before starting, there was a lot of stuff we'd already had to pay for and get and get assembled and get. We were already at mm-hmm. the arena setting stuff up, so you yeah, know we're yeah. paying for crews and paying stuff. So we got dinged pretty good there. I will say, at least from a revenue perspective, from partnerships, we we managed to keep all of our partnerships intact, which has been. Kudos to um, our content team, our graphics team, our social teams, like pivoting and coming up with stuff for them. So, you know, I think, you know, we also didn't run two other events, so we saved money there too. So, I mean, it might have balanced out here or there. Um, I don't have the P&L to look at all the time. So, but I think for all intents and purposes, I think it probably is pretty balanced on, on what we've been able to make off of this and what we lost. So, mm. Are you are you seeing a lot of increased sponsor interest over this period of time, or, or non-endemic? Interest? Yeah, I think there's a lot of interest. I think a lot of people are with all this downtime and all this 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 light being shed on esports or on streaming and personalities and how to just get into this world. You have a lot of people just asking questions or, or have intrigue that don't necessarily know what they want to do, but know that they they should, they're supposed. I got someone tell me today. Listen. I was tasked to learning about esports for my company, so like I don't know, like just can, can you educate me on what esports is? So it's like you know, I have a lot of people that are that whether they're tasked to learn about it or intrigued on their own. I think there's a lot of interest. I think mm. you'll actually see probably more of an uptick in sponsorships from all this going into next year than right now. Mm. Um, you know, we've had we, there was a partner we were talking with. 
I think before all this happened, they were kind of like, well, maybe we'll do something. We'll see. And then we just spoke to them recently and they were like, oh, this is great. Like all, all everyone's excited about esports stuff now. So, you know, we definitely had some people that don't really know about esports, but they just keep hearing about it. So they're just like, all right, yeah. what do I need to know? How do I get into this? Um, and and I was on a I was on a podcast recently where we talked about just it's a lot of education. There's a lot of brands out there that have people running departments or, or pulling purse strings that don't know anything about game, like very little gaming, let alone esports. So mm. a lot of a lot of education right now. Mm. I had to I had to laugh when you were talking about that brand thing. You know, initial not having interest, then showing interest. I think like a, a massive learning for me, you know, working in this space is the deal isn't signed until it's signed. You know, the amount of verbal agreements I've had saying yes, the amount of times that I've had emails coming through saying we've secured the budget, the amount of times I've had, hey, we'll sign the contract, you know, by tomorrow, and then it's tomorrow again next week, and then the week right. after. It's, it's, it's just a funny, it's like a learning I, experience. Yeah. I've had a, hey, the contract's on my desk, I'm looking it over, and I'll send it to you today to like, to like not getting it that night and be like, hey, like, just make sure I didn't miss you sending the contract over, like, to, to not hear them for a week and be like, hey, listen, man, yeah. like, budgets got cut last second. I'm like, wait a second. Like, the le- went through legal and everything, and they're, and you never know, like, right? And, and I think there's a lot of uncertainty right now, too. So a lot of brands are like, you know, they, they saw a lot of the media that they lost outside of digital uh, from an esports perspective. They have activation, sponsorships with teams, um, you know, stuff at stadiums, uh, concerts, and all these got canceled. And they're probably like, where do we what do we do with this budget i think a lot of brands also saw an opportunity like hey you know maybe we don't have to spend this money right now and instead of just like spending it because they had it they didn't which mm. you know makes a lot of sense um if you get ahead on maybe um saving some of that money you weren't going to spend and, and using it wiser when you have more time to understand what's going to go on because a lot of these brands not only do they not know much about esports and gaming but they also don't know what's going to happen next month next year i was talking to a big auto dealer down here. And they said, not only do they not know what they're doing next year, he's like, they don't even know what they're doing next month because of all this. So there's a lot of brands that are playing like, you know, what do we do now? Okay. That month was covered now. Okay. Now it's look worried about the next month. So we're literally planning month by month because there's just so much uncertainty. Mm, yeah, that's really true. Yeah. And I've seen someone talk about that previously, you know, saying, okay, all of these, all of these companies that we're going to put money into these live events, you know, that budget doesn't necessarily just disappear. With my right. experience, you know, working in Corsair or with other companies, if the budget isn't spent, often it will disappear and you'll never get sure. it again. So you want to spend the budget just so it's spent. But it's the same thing like you were saying. It's just so much uncertainty. You know, some of my some of my friends' companies that were spending, you know, a hundred grand plus a month on Facebook ads, as soon as coronavirus really kicked off around April, you know, they cancelled that straight away. And they kept doing influencer work and things like that. But yeah, it was it was definitely erring on the side of caution, like you were saying, because yeah, yeah, I guess people just really don't know. And it's happened here with Melbourne. Like, you know, we had gyms open for two weeks, I think. You know, they were closed, they were open for about two to three weeks, and now we're into stage four and they had to close again. And you know, right. I I do jujitsu, which is a hundred percent contact sport. For those people who don't know, it's like submission wrestling um, from from Brazil. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel for my coach because, I mean, his business is 100% contact. There's no way right. he could do anything over this period of time. So he can do some Zoom classes and stuff. Right. Hard to Zoom classes. Right. Yeah, exactly. I got, exactly. A, I got an incredible email. I play in a, an, an, uh, oh, like an adult 30-plus soccer league down here that grew up playing football, soccer. So 
Yeah. The, the they wanted to do a uh, min, a maximum six feet away from. I'm like, how are you supposed? To, I'm like, what? What kind of league soccer league is that? Like, how do you how do you do anything? You can't just like give someone six feet of space. <laughs> That's how it works. Yeah. So yeah, they, I don't think. yeah, yeah, exactly. But <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think people just I, like you said, a lot of people just didn't don't know. They're you know they're un, you know they're not being told a lot locally what's going to happen. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's, it's a big player in it. Mm, mm. And how's like, how has it affected your team as a whole? Like, have you found like performance go up or down? Like how, how's everyone dealing with it? Misfits? Uh, I actually think we got better if, if you look at, well, I should say this, our LEC team, I think did better live in the studio with people and, and on that stage than, than from mm-hmm. the, almost like they needed that, like to get in the right frame of mind, like traveling to the, to the Berlin arena, like huddling together, like being in the room, like mm-hmm. making it almost more serious for them. I think they clearly, we didn't play as well this split compared to last split. Um, so, you know, I think they, and, and I think our coaches would only say that they do perform better when they're going through the, the whole, you know, let me, let me get on the, get on the van, put my music in, let me get in the right frame of mind versus, I just yeah. finished eating a bowl of cereal. Let me go run to my setup and go queue in for, for my LEC match, you know? So yeah. Um, yeah. I think that was helpful then. But our other teams, I think, did better. I think I think we had um, our, our Overwatch team started playing a lot better through quarantine. I think they had a chance to really be together, sit, talk, uh, you know, get a sense of team orientation, um, so it, you know, I think every every player, every person is different. Every team's fu- functions differently. So it's who knows if it across the board helps or doesn't. But one team got better, one team got worse. I think one team pretty much did just as good as they would have done, regardless. So I'm glad you said that because I mean, it's it's something that a lot of people don't don't talk about. Like it's a example I use a lot is is I used to work with the we used to sponsor and manage a New Zealand Counter Strike team back in like 2000. And, 12 and by sponsor it's like you know peripherals when i was at thermal take and you mm-hmm. know 500 dollars to help them with flights to come over to a tournament you know right. that gets 30 concurrent viewers in counter-strike source and um you know these guys always played from internet cafes because at that time none of them had good pcs and at that time new zealand didn't have adequate internet and it was just such an advantage for them playing live you know online they were probably you know generously maybe the 12th 8th to 12th ranked team in australia but they came third at that tournament quite comfortably and it's because they just shone so much because they were used to that live environment and that's what they'd always practice in. And for me as a semi-pro player in CSGO in the past, I was the opposite. And I don't 100% know why, but I just sucked at a live environment. I hated it when, you know, the monitor's a different size and it's a different brand and it's further away or closer to you. The desk is a slightly different height. You're not 100% used to the chair and there's lots of other sights, smells and sounds that are coming at you as well. Like, it's just so different. And that's yeah. why... I think for those people who are listening to this that don't know, like on Counter-Strike, a lot of the fans and the pros say anything Counter-Strike online, it just doesn't count because they have such an affinity to, to live play. They love LAN, and I think it's because of a lot of those reasons. And then obviously ping and stuff like that doesn't come into the factor at all either if you're all on a more even playing surface. I think. Yeah, if you think about all the if – if you compare esports athletes to any athlete, which I kind of do in terms of, like, the amount of hours and work and, and how much, you know, dedication it takes to become a pro-level anything, they have their little idiosyncrasies, and if that gets thrown off, they don't – you know, stuff gets thrown off, and there's a lot of 
guys who don't cope with it as well. And some, some are, like you said, some like playing from home because everything's perfect the way they want it. And some hate traveling. Some can't stand airplanes. Some, you know, who knows, but that's part of, I think that's part of getting over and having a good team is, is fighting through those issues and performing no matter what. Um, so, yeah. Mm, yeah. And for those people that I know, like, um, you know, Starcraft and Starcraft two is the most meticulous for this. And it's, it's mm-hmm. quite often you'll see a ruler come out. They'll rip out a ruler and they'll look at how far away their mouse has to be from their keyboard and their keyboard from their monitor and things like that too. Because a lot of it is, um, a lot of it's muscle memory development. And for like mm-hmm. pro players and stuff, you'll notice they never switch mouse pads, they never switch mice. You right. shouldn't switch um, monitor resolution and you shouldn't change your sensitivity because, you know, I used to spend 25 minutes a day or probably more like 15 minutes a day every day training my muscle memory in a certain map where I would have to point right. my cursor at a, all of these dots. You'd point at the middle and then you'd flick up to the first dot and then back and they go faster, faster, faster. And it's training your brain the whole time that, you know, when I move the mouse one millimeter, it translates to this on the screen. And sure. you know, if you're changing these things and you're going to these different environments, like it can really screw you up. But obviously some people thrive, um, including you guys over that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think, I think um, you hear it a lot when you have multiple heats on the same setups and you have people when they allow people to change all the settings and it's the next person gets on, it's like a night they're like, listen, like I have to go second. The first heat gets to set up how they want it here I am scrambling to like, let me get this somewhat feeling comfortable and I have to play in a competitive heap. It's really hard. And I think a lot of people, and, it, and that, I think that goes to show you have some guys who still qualify who are just very good at video games who per- naturally are amazing at games and do a good job no matter what. And then you have some that need their setup and, you know, it's everyone's different. So, yeah, that's really true. So back, like back to the sponsor thing, like how is, mm-hmm. how is the, How's the education pathway for you guys getting brands into the market? Like I assume it's a little easier now because some are coming to you, but you know, yeah. are you seeing what, you know, I'm talking to others, it, it can often take, you know, six to nine months. They come in knowing that they need to get in the space, but no idea how, like I'd love for you to walk through just a basic, um, you know, partnership from cold outreach to close. Yeah. Cold outreach. It's, it's a long process. It's, it's um, a lot of, you know, I always ask people like, how much do you know about game, not even misfits, how much do you know about gaming <laughs> esports before hmm. getting into who we are? I mean, there's a lot of people who just they hear the word esports and they see a website like Twitch and they just kind of say, like, Okay, I get it. And and I'm like, there's a lot more stuff to that. Um not to take anything away from Twitch, it's amazing, right? All, this platform for people to to broadcast and and you know put their passions out there. But at the same time, there's a lot of different things you can do as a sponsor, and I think that's also part of the great side of esports. And part of the hard part is, you know, it's it's a little bit different than a tangible like, oh, so we can put a, a logo on the side, the baseline, or the the you know, the boards against the sideline for soccer or behind the goal. Cool. Like it's a very straightforward opportunity, but since all of our stuff's digital, it's like, Oh, we can make all sorts of stuff happen on the screen. If you want, like, you know, it's, it's a very mm. different, there's a lot of different things we can do, which is good and bad. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a lot of just when, when it's a cold outreach, it's let me take you through what, how esports has evolved. What, you know, why is game? Like I had to tell, explain to someone that didn't, they didn't believe me that, Gaming makes more money than than the television and movie industry combined. Just from not from sponsorships, but from 
generating of revenue for my ticket sales and merchandising and all that stuff. And they didn't believe me. I was like, yeah, go look, go look it up. So there's a lot of people like that, that still don't see gaming as this massive opportunity. And it's our job to really hold their hand through learning about it, uh, learning about esports, and then, and then helping them find a viable solution that makes sense for their, their brand that correlates to our team or our players or, whomever, um, you know, taking up the slack and, and being their partner, if you will, in, in esports. So, yeah. and you know, you know, where I've lost clients before um, throughout the process is giving them too many opportunities. I find yeah. it really hard when a brand comes to me and says, hey, I want to get into esports. And it's like, it's like <laughs> saying, I want to get into sports. Do you right. want to sponsor the Little League? Do you want to sponsor the, the physical facilities? Do you want to sponsor right. the talent, the influences, like the streams? Like there's just so much. And I remember specifically, you know, there was a student-based company that, you know, was very interested in the space, reached out to me, and I gave them a proposal that just had too many different options. And he basically said, Chris, I'm too confused. I'm out. You know, I wonder, I'm interested, you know, how do you pinpoint if a brand, if a brand comes to you tomorrow, do you give them one specific sell and say, I think you would fit better in League of Legends? Do you, like, how do you work through that? I think it's learn the, the more you can learn about the sponsor or, or brand or, or that side is, is better. I always find like ask more questions that, so you know exactly what they need. And I mean, I've, yeah, you know, I'll tell them like, there might be some as simple as like, you know, I learned the hard way. I went through like this, this is a long time ago. I went through this whole, uh, whole thing with um, a car company. We put this ideas together, this really cool concept of a mini game and all this stuff before I got into esports. And the guy was like, this is so great, cool, this is awesome, like we love it, it's really great, cool ideas. And he didn't know that um, part of the concept of this game was like using your the car as a, as a weapon too. You could like run over zombies and stuff. And they're like, oh, we can't show, his legal is like, we can't show zombies being run over by a car. Like that's, that's like showing like people being run over by a car, basically. Like we're not allowed to do that. And I'm like, yeah, right. so you go through this whole idea. Like you never know. There might be instances where like, hey, can you be around first person shooters? Right? Do realistic mm-hmm. shooters already block you out of working? And then it's like, oh yeah, we can't do anything violent. Okay, well that narrows it down a lot, right? What you can do at that point. Uh, we've had brands that say like, all right, we we love League of Legends. We want to be in there. And we have a time like, great, our League of Legends team plays in Europe. Oh, we legally cannot advertise anything that relates to outside of Europe, you know, because we're not licensed to be. They they offer a service that they can't operate there, so they can't have people from Europe trying to do banking and financial stuff with them. Um, so certain things like that, I think you can find out really easily. You just got to ask questions, like, um, and hopefully you can narrow it down to something that really does make sense. But Chris, some of you, it's like sometimes you get people that go, oh, "Great, great!" Like, what should we do? And I'm like, you know, that's a there's so many things we can do with you. I need to know a little bit more, um, mm-hmm. you know, what their goals are, what their incentives are, what, what's worked for them in the past. Maybe then I try to sometimes equate things to sports for them. Like, Hey, what did you do in sports that, that you liked? Hey, is it important for you to meet mm-hmm. your fans, meet consumers getting, you know, with soft drinks, it's an, an energy drink. It's getting cans in hand. Like how many orders or places can we like get this product out? So like just knowing those things, I think helps, you learn those things it helps you make the the decision process easier for them because you can offer something a little more tailored yeah yeah i think like the last thing you said is the most is i think the most important to me that's worked in the past which is just finding likeness between what they're already used to 
Right. And if they already sponsor, you know, the Formula One drivers individually for their Instagram posts, well, then just go and sponsor a pro player and influencer. You know, it makes perfect mm-hmm. sense. And then you can you can measure, you can see the CPM, you can see that it's not that scary. It's just they just have a different interest at uh, right. both Instagrams, and then you can just go from there. Yep, exactly. Um, and I think a lot of brands don't even know that with esports. That like this is all measured. They think like you know, it's, I've talked to a brand. They're like, okay, now like, how do we? Do you guys do reporting? I'm like, yeah, we have monthly reporting. I've I, I have four different vendors for data that I use. Like you know, we, we this is a real. I think the good news is there's 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 people that have that are very um, intelligent have been in the world of media and and sales and marketing that that are behind the scenes for a lot of these esports, especially partnership side that like understand that like it's not just putting up a logo and, and, and you kind of figure out what happens after it. You really have to measure and show them success and, and paint a picture for them. So uh, fortunately we also are able to do that um, for these, for the sponsors. So, so you guys launched, I guess, pretty, pretty late in the piece compared to a lot of other you know, tier one teams, you know, 2016 for your guys launch, you compare that to, you know, Fnatic who's been kicking it in CS 1.6 since like 2007 or Mm there, you know, even cloud nine, which, which sometimes in my brain is still new because it, you know, they kind of came with, with league of legends, which is post CS 1.6 and a a few others as well. I'm interested to learn, you know, how do you guys tackle, you know, it, it almost seemed like the biggest mountain ever where they go, Hey, okay, Justin, we've, we've purchased, you know, three different franchise league spots. (laughs) Um, go now, for can it. You, yeah, can you please just go sell us a quick five million dollars of inventory? Sure. Right. So hopefully we'll get the we'll get there soon. I think five million will maybe we'll get there next year. But you know, for for us, it's been you're right. I think there's a lot of people that are in esports already. That that you know, a lot of peripheral brands, a lot of PC partners, um, you know, hardware, software type stuff that they're they've been around esports for a while. That's where it's like. You know, we have to really prove ourselves. Um, and sometimes that does come down to not only like what we can offer from a package, but, you know, how good our teams are. You know, that's also part of endorsing, right? They want to work with the best players, the best teams. You know, the, what can we do that gets us, you know, uh, more eyeballs? If, if your team keeps winning, you're going to get more screen time, airtime, interview time. So, you know, that sort of stuff's important sometimes. I think more important to usually more peripherals and, and at least PC partners. Um, but we, you know, we've managed to, I think, do a good job of, of, of relying on more of our community engagement, um, the way we see our fans, um, you know, what we bring to the table from, from a, I guess, almost like a family atmosphere is what we try to accomplish. And, you know, the things that we say our pillars are more like, you know, inclusivity and, and quirkiness and, and things like that. And, and we kind of joke around and say like, everyone's a misfit at heart. There's all sorts of things that um, kind of make you quirk that make you different. And we just, we accept all those differences. So to, that's kind of like what we try to put out there. And, and I think, I think it's been good so far. I mean, it's been um, obviously we had a, a lot of early success with the league which was great. I think a lot of people saw that we have um, a, a management and coaching and team that wants to win. Um, I think trying to get, we're trying to get back there. We've, we've clearly thought we've had some good opportunities that maybe fell short in recent years. And we've had some good players who came out of nowhere and have been really great. So I think we're, we're still trying to 
get back to those winning ways. And um, yeah, and it's been, you know, how do you navigate three separate leagues when you're getting into them? It makes it tricky. Um, sometimes it's, it's, uh, it also makes it a little easier. Sometimes we have a lot of, a lot of reach, a lot of eyeballs, cause there's almost, you know, four different entities, if you will, that we are able to advertise against. Um, but at the same time, then you're explaining like, you know, four different types of assets and teams and audiences and demographics. So it does make for a lot, but, um, I think, you know, we'll, we'll get there. We had a pretty good year in revenue. Last year when I came on board, I came on board late 2018. Um, and then this year we doubled revenue from last year. So hopefully we can continue that trend. Um, keep doubling our revenue. That'd be great. So we'll see. <laughs> That's always good, right? That's always right, good. And, exactly. I guess, and I guess one thing that helps um, that I can get out of what you're saying is knowing knowing exactly what you're selling. Because I found yeah. that a lot in the past with esports teams. They go, yeah, like I want a sponsor. But it's like, okay, like you know what how much is your inventory worth as a whole how are you splitting that up and what exactly is involved with a you know side of jersey sponsor versus a front versus a back etc so starting out we had a hard time figuring that out and i think we we took kind of like whatever deals we could really get and then once we were able to apply some measurement and metrics now we have a pretty good picture idea and we have you know what i think is viable evidence to back up what we're charging um, for mm-hmm. certain things. And I think our prices personally are fair. Like I think when we talk to sponsors, you know, I, I'd rather, I'd rather under promise and over deliver on a deal than get a lot of money one time. And then the, then I'm having to find a new sponsor every year. Right. So mm-hmm. um, that to, you know, because of that, I think we've had, we've done a good job of really laying out what our assets are, what's available um, and applying the value to those, I think you're right. Like knowing what you're selling is very important. Mm. And I've, I've seen two two different ways that a lot of you know VC or, or funding back teams that are operated. Number one is is they've kind of done like what you've said, which is you know let's sell our inventory at what the other side thinks it's worth, the sponsor, and then measure and go from there. And the other side, which is you know similar to say maybe Sentinels. Um, and a few other teams as well, which is let's do no sponsorship at all, seemingly until something big lands in our lap and, and hold out for that. What do you, what do you think about like those two different modes? Um, well, when I was hired, Ben's like, go find money wherever. So it was, I didn't have the luxury of, oh, let's just sit back and see what happens. And we'll, uh, you know, if there's a big deal, we'll take it. So yeah. I think I'm a big believer on uh, having test cases, showing you know, what you've been able to do and accomplish to a brand, especially a non-endemic who's, you know, reluctant to get into the space. Uh, whether that's, you know, we've worked with some CPG brands now and fast food and automotive. So now I can say, hey, hey, Hyundai, Kia, like, look, like, this is what we know we can do. Here's here's what we were able to make. We know this works. Um, yeah. And having those those almost like case studies, I think, make your life a lot easier when trying to get that big um, that big dollar, big win, because you now can back up what you're trying to sell. So I'm, a, I mean, listen, I don't think you can just take any deal forever in perpetuity. I think eventually you have to start scaling up and trying to find ways to maximize your revenue. But at the same time, starting out as a startup, when we were, you know, it was 2016, when we, when I came on in 2018, in 2017, I think we had only one deal or two deals. So like, it's not, you know, we're not dealing with a lot. And now we have a lot more sponsors. So I think, you know, some of those are um, 
very lucrative deals. Some are, they, they look great on paper and it's just something for us to, Hey, we, let's get a category that we can show and build off of and use, show a case study from it. So I think, I think eventually though, you have to have those, those in your pocket to, to be able to win the really big one. I've never, never put together. I mean, I have, I put together a big, huge proposals before never have any, has any of them ever been like, Oh, so like, Oh, uh, we'll just like trust you with everything. Go for it. See what happens. It's very like, Hey, we're spending a lot of money with you guys. Like, how are we measuring this? Like, what are the goals? Like, how are we going to, every quarter we got to do this and this, and we want to see this. And I know let's do AB testing with the ads we put out and the content we make. It's, it's not a, it's, it's not a, here's a lot of money. Go figure it out. It's, they want to know exactly mm-hmm. what they're getting. So. How big's how big's your delivery team for these sponsorship things in, internally with Missus? Like our account management team. Yeah, yeah, um, like actually delivering on the sponsorship. So, luckily for us, we have a great we have a great team from like the content social like so our content socials and graphics teams all work across everything. So they'll do our brand our, our Misfits gaming group brand assets plus our commercial stuff, our sponsored stuff. Mm-hmm. From the actual people making sure that stuff's getting done. We have ourselves as sellers, which we're starting up. So we're trying to build that support team. But we have two support staff right now. I think we're in the process of trying to see if we want to get a third. We just hired a market insights and data analytics person for our team specifically um, to help with that and reporting and things like that. Um, but ultimately, I would say our team, our, our departments do a really good job helping out everyone, but our team specifically of support, there's two. Um, kudos to Herb May, who I don't know if some of you know, ever talked to Herb or spoke with Herb at the Outlaws. He actually suggested who we hired for our account manager position, and she's amazing. So I, I owe him, uh, who knows, scotch, whiskey, whatever he wants at the next time we can drink in person. And drinks are on me, Herb. So, yeah, but but – you know, I think we have a really good team to help out. Like everyone really helps each other um, internally. So, um, mm. you know, we've been able to, like I said, we haven't had any sponsors cut any of our budget um, with COVID. So, so far, so good. Yeah, it's. I feel like you know the actual delivery of the campaigns is is the non sexy and often forgot about section, right? Everybody always talks mm. about securing the deal, especially on LinkedIn anyway. And I've found that before too. I remember. I can remember the, you know, the biggest deal our business has closed thus far was this year. I remember closing the deal. And I remember later on, you know, joking to my girlfriend that night being like, man, can I just get paid the money and not do the work? Like, you know, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. But now I've got a shitload of work to do to actually deliver right. on this. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard. I think that it comes down to a, I think internally your team has to all be on the same page. I think we do a really good job of our, our social team knows the stuff they have to do. Our graphics team knows what they're working on. Our events team knows. Everyone, I think, does a really good job working together. Oh, yeah, there are times when stuff, you know, we're scrambling. Oh, we forgot something. We got to do it real quick. Sure. But I think for the most part, um, all the teams are very tuned in to, like, what they need to do from the sponsorship standpoint. Um, mm-hmm. and, and like I said, the department's growing. So I was the only one there last year, and now we have, our SVP, my counterpart in Europe, and two support people, and now we've just hired a data person. So slowly but surely, we'll get we'll get a little bigger. How does the how does the buy in work internally for you guys for the players? So let's say you sign a new peripheral partner. 
you know, how, how much, um, you know, whether contractual or just understanding or otherwise, do you have power to have those players, you know, post about their, their new keyboard and mouse and do sponsored it, streams and things like that? So it depends on the kind of partnership or, or contract, I should say, we have with the player or influencer. Some influencers have representation, some don't. Some have representation that all categories are open. Some already have deals. Some want specific budgets for said, you know, for said categories to, to be able to market off their likeness in that category. So it just depends on trying to figure out what your needs are, why they're, why is that influencer coming on board? How can your, how can their audience and, and your org help one another out? Um, what can those sponsors that you're working, you know, putting these programs together for, what can they get out of it? Um, you know, so I, I'm a big believer on, on transparency on a lot of that stuff. I think if everyone's talking and, and trying to figure out, okay, what are the goals on this? How can we help each other out mutually with these things? Um, then it, te- it tends to go a little better, but yeah, it's hard. It's, it's getting harder. I think even for orgs, I think orgs are almost becoming two separate companies. You have pro esports and then like content media entertainment companies that have, you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, if you win or lose a game, what matters is how entertaining you were. So um, I think there's two separate sides that are kind of, they've always were there, but I think now they're really starting to exacerbate and get bigger. Um, so that's, that's where I think you have to have someone that understands um, the entertainment side. What I mean by that is um, understands social community engagement, um, you know, content creation, you know, coming up with ideas for the brands, things like that. So I think that's really important. Also managing those influencers to deliver on those things. So, mm, Yeah, because that's an interesting thing. You know, like um, we helped um, Ghost Lifestyle with a new product, Ghost Game, and <coughs> closed a deal with Exit. Um, it was announced a few weeks ago now. And that was part of, um, you know, my discussion with Ghost is just to understand how deep it goes with the team. Because I've seen that problem before where, you know, and no no um, foul to the team at all, but the understandings aren't exactly there. And like you were saying with, you know, brands that know what they're getting into. And sometimes the brand sees the team as the be-all and end-all, like it might be in the NFL, like it might be in the MLB. But esports is so much about the players as it is about the brand as well. And I said, just mm-hmm. make sure that you have that discussion between you two to understand, okay, how deep does this go? Is this going to be like FaZe and G Fuel? where phase is G Fuel and all of the players all the time are tweeting about G Fuel and they've got their own codes and their own shakers. And it's not just phase partnership. It's down to banks and rain and adapt and all these kind of guys too. And understanding how deep that goes. Cause that's what I feel like with my experience with Corsair as well. You know, sometimes when you're working with teams that don't have those deep contracts with their players, it's hard because you don't get that proper penetration. Yeah. It, it, I think, I think from an influencer standpoint, that's getting harder because I think a lot of, listen, there's, a lot more agencies popping up managing rights and, and image image uh, image like rights and likeness for influencers that mm. you know are even medium to small size that brands are willing to work with and you know can you can you get these um, micro influencers that have maybe more engaging communities but they maybe have twenty thousand followers versus a million followers right but if if all their five thousand or twenty thousand are super hardcore listening to what they say and are very engaged um you you see the value in that as a brand sometimes so i think it's getting harder to just operate as a your traditional org i think you have to really understand the contracts of the players and the influencers that you have 
um, what you can do with them and, or, you know, sometimes make them do, you know, unfortunately, and um, kind of understanding that is important. I think that's part of the, I want to say nice thing, but that is one, one um, less thing to worry about with the franchise leagues. A lot of those leagues are set up that, you know, the, the teams that operate in those franchise leagues own the likes and right, like rights and likeness of the players on their team okay. when operating in that space. So like it comes down to the org really allowing um, the player to do a deal outside of the org itself. Um, but all the contracts state that they have to follow um, the, the orgs sort of like disposition when it comes to like what they can and can't do from a sponsorship standpoint. Yeah, Cause then that sense. plays into the, and that plays into the league too, right? Cause the league is there stuff that they tell the teams like, Hey, you can't do this. You can do this. You can't do that. So then we tell the players like, here's what we're allowed to do. So you can, we'll tell you what you can and can't do. So, mm-hmm. um, so that. Yeah. And I've definitely, you know, I've had a friend's team, for example, who signed a deal, but shared it directly with some of their top players and influencers to kind of get yeah. around that because it's almost like a, you know, it's almost like they've sub sold the influencer campaign. You know, they sold a bit to themselves as the brand and the influencer as the team, but, but also given some directly with content to the, to the player. Yeah. We've done that. We've done deals where it's like, okay, does it make sense if they really want to work with this person and they're going to do a lot of heavy lifting? We want to reward our influencers for that. Um, I never, I don't want to ever take money out of their pocket. Um, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of work the org does for those deals. And a lot of the players, like, you know, they're not making their own graphics. They're not organizing the marketing schedule with the brand that they're talking to. They're not coordinating, you know, sales efforts and promo codes and tracking all this stuff. So, you know, I think there's some components to it where it makes sense. And yes, I think influencers definitely deserve, you know, from the work they're doing. At the same time, I think they have to remember, like, they're getting a contract from an org and there's certain things that they have to be prepared to do if they're going to sign with an org. Um, and if they obviously have zero interest in doing any of that stuff, then there's deals for them on their own to be had nowadays. So it just depends on where they want to, what they want to do, how they want to approach it. And I think as long as everyone's communicating you can always find that like at least the the path of least resistance and getting everyone on the same page. Um, so yeah, but we have our ups and downs in that, in that, in that regard. Do you guys have non, non compete sponsor agreements with any of the franchise leagues you're in? So you can't say if they've got AMD as a league partner, yeah. you can't have Intel. Yeah. Uh, it used to be a lot more. I think that they've, They've kind of laxed a little bit on some of them for Activision Blizzard leagues. But when we first started out, there were a whole bunch of categories that were blocked. Um, and they've recently kind of relinquished some control onto those. Riot's always been pretty open. Uh, they've had their blocked categories due to um, just prohibited categories, never league-related deals that are trickling down to block the teams. Um, I think, uh, yeah, yeah. so they come up. Like, there's definitely, like, you know, I couldn't sell a deal for my Call of Duty team to Xbox because PlayStation's the console rights and, and presenting partner. So I can't actually, um, I can't actually do any of that. Mm. So I guess as um as part as part of that too, just to clarify, you mean like with Riot Games, for example, they ban all, all gambling sponsors. Is that well, what you mean correct. by prohibited categories? Yeah. yeah, gambling, um, alcohol is prohibited by that league, which I wish it wasn't. <laughs> so. Um, you know, considering I think it being in Europe and they have a chance to, um, the drinking age is a lot 
younger uh, than America. I think there's things they can do, yeah. but also there's all sorts of different rules from different countries that they have to deal with. Mm. I was almost, so, I got to tell you, like on a, on a personal level, I was almost surprised when the Overwatch League signed an alcohol sponsor. I, I didn't necessarily see that happening, especially the stance. You know, they got they got a very strong stance against swearing and, you know, some other kind of things like that too. Yeah, I think I, I was shocked too when I first got the, the, the Bud Light deal in, I think. But when you look at the actual breakdown of the compliancy for the age demographic, it does hit where they needed to. So... You know, yeah. they were like, all right, well, we have an old enough league technically. Like, let's, uh, what, what do we think about doing it? Um, so. Mm. Mm. I'm not saying it's, it's a, I don't think it's a bad thing at all. I was just surprised on a personal level. Yeah. And I, I was too. I, I thought for sure that it was, I never thought, you yeah, know, knowing they've had deals with like Disney XD and stuff. I was, I was shocked they did that deal, but. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So yeah, the the non compete um, the non compete thing's been pretty interesting because I do know that you know Blizzard cops and flack in the past for say having contenders league with with non compete sponsor clauses where it's just you know it's the, the teams aren't being uh, you know they're not franchised to be part of that whatsoever. I know some people have been unstuck by that before. Has that been a, a bit of a struggle for you guys? Like obviously you said that you wish were I'd allowed alcohol sponsors. Yeah, I think. Um... You know, you just have to roll with the punches there. I mean, sometimes and that changes. Um, if you're dealing with like on the league side, they've they've definitely had some stuff they've had in mind blocked, and it's open. And 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 then sometimes with Riot, they tell us like, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna change these things or do these things," and they think they're gonna come. Um, so it's 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 kind of all you know. It's it's hard to navigate. Um, as things change, um, but easier to navigate, like once you know, um, you know, like if stuff's set in stone, all right, it makes it a little easier to know where you have to do what you're, what you're dealing with parameter wise, but then it makes it harder to like, obviously those open categories are closed. And then when they open up, you're like, great, they're open. But then you're kind of like, oh shoot. Now I have to scramble to like, uh, find a partner that I've never, I've never talked to in that category because they've it's been blocked for you know x amount of years so um it's there's that's got it's good and bad stuff yeah that makes sense it, yeah and like almost almost a complete change in topic but a little bit I, I wanted to talk to you about this so i had a did a podcast ages ago with nick bobber who's the ceo of icon who hold chiefs chiefs are the the most sponsored esports organization in australia they got like l'oreal and and menu log which is like a food delivery service and um, a bunch of others in the past. And one thing that he said on the on the podcast with me that I loved is his new one of his new investors asked him to do a PL per team to um to drive that down to really look at what value you know the Counter-Strike organization was bringing for him versus the Fortnite players versus Call of Duty. I'd be interested in seeing, you know, what you think about that. It might be a little easier to do a PL because you're in franchise leagues for you, but is that something that you guys do or have considered at all? Yeah, we do a PNL. Um, we abs absolutely do PNLs, and we have. So we did an overarching PNL by not only, you know, I guess it was grouped together for teams, and now it's being broken out more by team. Before it was just grouped as like departments, but we do mm -hmm. departmental PNLs too. Obviously, like keeping track of money in and out for for different departments, like my my department, and you know how much are we contracting the content team to make for us, so we're not you know. Okay. Even though it's our own company, but you know, how much are we really billing that internal team um, for that content? And then uh, we are doing not only by team by team next year, we really want to do by deal. 
So we're going to start looking at each deal almost as if it's a P&L and say, who's working on this deal? How many, you know, how much content are we making? Are we, what's the content worth? Um, what are we seeing in return? If there's events that we throw that we can sell tickets against or is there stuff that we can make revenue off of on top of this deal? So we're going to start looking at deal by deal too. So. Mm, okay. Interesting. Yeah. You guys definitely ahead of the curve. And I guess as, as part of that, as part of that too, you know, how, how are you guys deciding to get into new, to get into new, um, you know, new games? Are you, are you forecasting that PL versus that or, or no, I guess you're, uh, you're stuck because franchises? A little bit. I mean, obviously with Valorant, we talk a lot with Riot. We just had a call with them Friday about stuff for Valorant. So, mm. you know, I think, I think there's certain, I think we look into a lot of leagues. I don't know if we pull the trigger as much. Like we were slated to be in, uh, in the site B league with, with the um, PEA and, and that whole, you know, almost like joint venture with ESL and the PEA teams. And we, backed out last second just from a financial standpoint we we're like listen we just put up all this money for call of duty like what you know what, what's going to happen now so um so i think we look at a lot that we pull the trigger on probably less um i think we're we're okay with not being the first bunch of people into a league we're okay with you know seeing how things go obviously we didn't make that we did the opposite for uh activision listeners are those leagues um that I think was more so um, really talk, really listening to what Activision Blizzard was going to put behind the leagues themselves, making it a, a you know making it almost like an internal pillar for their organization. Is like, hey, these are these are core uh, core core you know uh, just activities they needed they wanted to accomplish as an as a publisher like esports they showed us like hey look this is what we're planning so i think once we saw that we're a little more comfortable but yeah i think i think for us it's it's we look we look at a lot more sports than we really pull the trigger in so we're hard to say yes but we're still, we're looking at a lot <clears throat> yeah yeah that makes sense so i wanted i wanted to change because we're coming into the last 10 10 20 minutes of our conversation today <clears throat> and i wanted to change to talk about something that was in the title of the stream and probably in the title of the podcast too which is about the localization of you guys in florida so i've just got an article open i'll just read like a really quick sentence from here so it's about misfits gaming group will invest more than 1.35 million and create 30 new jobs at new headquarters um, the esports company is expected to consolidate its operations from LA and Berlin, move its operations to South Florida, thanks to assistance from the Palm Beach County Business Development Board, the city, um, also the commissioners, Enterprise Florida, and the Florida Department of Economic Opportunity. So I'd love to I'd love to chat a little bit about that. You know, I've had and I can see Jake Zinn in the in the LinkedIn live chat here. You know, talking about the Kansas City Pioneers and and some of the teams that are doing localized things. I've been trying to make a lot of content to push people to say, hey you know, maybe stop thinking so much globally, think a bit locally, think about how you can work with local councils, state government, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I'd love to learn from you guys. Like what's the, what's the general strategy here and, and what's the support been like locally? So the, the support has been great. I think it's, it's been, I think if COVID hadn't happened, I think we would have had a much faster adoption from local fans, businesses. We were, I think we we're doing a very good job connecting um, locally, um, we do have some strategic partnerships locally, and we've tried to do work with some big local businesses. I think, I think one okay. one of the things we've taken from a, I, I should say this. So, 
for us, it was a matter of like, it was almost twofold. So we're already in this franchise leagues, right. That had a localized proximity to a, to a team. Like where we, we represent Florida for call of duty and overwatch league. So yeah, from that, we're like, all right, we should probably have presence in the markets when we try to have an event or sell tickets or merch, people know what the, what the hell we are. And, and can, you know, can we, can, can we get, more money can we can we get better deals can we work with the different you know different teams internally within the state of florida to help broaden to, to reach their fan base things like that so it was almost like okay we need to have a presence here um and we moved our our la operations which was our overwatch league team um to florida and, and several people from berlin outside of outside of just running the berlin office and the lec team um most a lot of those people came came to um, Florida as well. Working with the city and county, we said, listen, we want to have our headquarters here and we're going to um, bring a lot of jobs. We're going to bring a lot of people down here. And from that, obviously, you can work with cities for, um, you know, breaks on taxes and and just, you know, helpful. There's all sorts of programs for small businesses to help out with, with, with all sorts of expenses. So I think we looked into a lot of those we talked to a lot of economic boards, like, you know, we even, we even, even talked to some cities like, um, you know, were we going to be in Boca the whole time? I think there was talks, maybe we go down to Miami and just looking to see like what these cities, what the counties could help offer us if we bring 30 jobs. And that was 30 jobs pretty quickly. I mean, let alone scaling up down the road. So, mm. um, and, and that's where, you know, we, we said, Hey, we're going to do this. Um, what can you do for us? And it, you know, it didn't have to really be a lot, I think, or even me, anything. I think we just asked the question. And, and I think if you don't ask, sometimes, you know, the county or city aren't going to just openly be like, oh, yeah, here, come. Here's we'll help you out with this, this, this and this. If you say, listen, like we're going to bring jobs, we're going to bring revenue, we're going to bring opportunities. You know, how can we work together? Um, then you start getting, you know, the, the different boards and the, you know, at the county level and state level listening to you about how you so mm, yeah and i've you know I've, I've done a little bit of talking in the past you know like locally here in australia with some mayors and and councils and you know the ex-state government that we used to have which was a liberal party you know about exactly those kind of things is about you know how can you support these people to provide jobs into the space and you know mm. i talked to i talked to three four five teams who are all based up in sydney and there's like a melbourne versus sydney rivalry here in australia um, it's, it's got, it's almost kind of like LA versus New York, I guess. And, um, you know, saying to them, look, these teams would move if you provide them with some support and these government, you know, often they've got a lot of facilities that are fairly empty office spaces that they're looking to mm-hmm. fill. Hell, even like the Australian football league here, they bought a stadium, Eddie had stadium and now it's called Marvel. And they're always talking about how they've got so many empty rooms in there, you know, small function rooms and spaces and things like that too. So can you work with a gaming organization who's just, you know, raised its first million in seed capital and has hired five, 10 staff to give them an office space, you know, to work together, Um, give them, give them some tax benefits, give them some support from the, from the, you know, Victorian chamber of commerce, for example, or, you know, help them with the, with the business development departments within the, you know, local and federal governments, because there are so many of those, you know, there are local, there's a local government party um, or local government business here in Australia that takes game development companies overseas and does tours in China and takes them to Tencent and says, look, here's the best that we have to offer. You know, can we help to facilitate some work between you guys? And I think that a lot of the time I feel like in in esports and, and for me personally is that I've alienated myself from 
every other traditional startup business where often people say, well, we're esports, we're different. You know, yes, we're a startup. Yes, we had to raise money. Yes, we have a P&L. You know, yes, yes, we're still a business like everyone else. But in some way, we feel like we're different. But ultimately, we're not. You know, we still need VC right. money. We still need sponsors. We still need profit and loss. We still need staff, facilities. You know, in the end, esports is just a business. Yep. I, I tell more, I tell a lot of people, people always ask me, like, how, how do I get into esports? And I say, well, what are you doing now in your current job? Like, what's your, what do you like to do? What's your role? Can you apply that role to esports? We need HR people, market data, research analysts, account managers, sellers, coaches, yeah. you know, you, you, you need HR, you need these things to run any company. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think you're that far off from a from any other company. Um, I think, uh, look at what other companies have been able to do locally successfully. Talk to them. Hey, have you managed to grow? What have you been able to do? Um, connect with, you're going to want to connect with them probably anyways to work with them. Um, so, yeah, I think there's no harm in, in asking and putting stuff out there. I'm a big believer in, in networking and just you know having conversations and seeing. You never know down the road what, what can come of it. So. Mm, exactly. And to, just to add like a little bit more numbers to those people listening as well, um, the original quote that I that I did was from um, esportsbizjournals.com. Sorry, someone mm-hmm. set that up. But also I've got another quote here from the Esports Observer that's talking about it too and, and saying that Misfits secured a 210K QTI tax return from the state of Florida through the Economic Development Organization uh, Enterprise Florida and the Florida Department of Economic Opportunity and then initial 21K in job growth incentive grants coming from Palm Beach County. Because I mean, I mean, if you look at nothing else, twenty-one k, you know, or two hundred and ten k within esports, you know, a lot of esports jobs are those account manager jobs, which could be anywhere from, you know, forty-five to seventy-five per year. Like that's that's a few people. That's that's right. three, four people's work for a year. And whenever you're a startup, you're always looking at your runway. You know, no matter where you are. I mean, Playsize Studios is a partner of ours. They've got seventy plus staff now, and they still have a runway. Every business has a runway, so right, something right. like that helps to extend. Yeah, I agree. I think, and like I said, there's there's all sorts of programs out there. Um, I always say, you know, like I said, connect with a local. You you probably know if you're local, you probably know of a local business that's done well that has a, a few locations of whatever. It's a a restaurant, an office company, or whatever it might be. Talk, hey, mm. we're, I, I went and talked to um, you know stuff we they've helped us do, and even like, even basic stuff. There's a local ice cream parlor that has now five locations down here. They helped us do our events at first. I was like, dude, do you want to meet esports kids? These all these kids are like, you know, Fortnite and these games, they all have moms. Like they're probably live near you guys. Let's get you guys more eyeballs in this age demographic. And like, yeah, let's do it. And and then talking with him, like, hey, you know, what'd you do with your business? What are things that you've done with the city and things like that? And or talking to buildings, like you said, there's a there's a local theater near us that's like a huge upstairs. It's abandoned. Like, could we use that space? Didn't come didn't come come to come to fruition, but Still, we asked. We're like, "Hey, what are you doing with this? Why is it sitting here empty? We could bring, you know." And don't be afraid to to show people you could bring um, in, in this partnership. Say, "Hey, listen. Just because we're asking you for something doesn't mean we can't also help you guys out with our position. Like, you know, there's a lot of value that esports orgs bring. Um, they have a lot of. Uh, I, I want to say, like, like you say, a lot of the business is the same, but they also have a lot of different types of people that work there." Um, sometimes younger, sometimes, you know, a little bit more innovative, forward thinking. Um, so yeah, there are people that are great with, you know, social media where maybe there's ways, Hey, you have an event, let us help partner with and push it out and and do stuff for you guys Mm -hmm. that way. So there's all sorts of, of ways that you can uh, extrapolate what you're talking to from a, from a, 
county city opportunity to just even local businesses um, that can help you out. Mm, mm. And you know the the other thing that I mentioned to the to the local government as well is you need to get in now and early because what sort of company is going to establish two hundred staff in LA and then want to move to Florida? And it's very unlikely that, that when right. you're so that that you're just going to pack up and tell two hundred families, you know, all right, pack up everything, we're we're going off to Florida. Yeah, it's a good point. Like once you're there, you're kind of there. I mean, our goal mm. is to be here long term. So yeah, it's it's that was um, you know we picked Florida just because our founders and i guess the money that makes this thing go for us is a lot of it in south florida so that's where we're saying hey we're gonna we're gonna be where 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 they are um for us we thought that was important um Mm -hmm. but yeah i think i think you hit the nail on the head it's not that much different and don't be afraid to ask for uh you know ask say what's out there you never know what counties cities states will offer businesses to move to work to bring jobs into those places Mm. And the other, um, I mean, the other interesting thing with this article I'd love to ask you about too is is it's saying here that thirty new jobs at an average salary of ninety five k, it seems a bit higher than than the I general think, esports average. I think those are. I think some of the luckily some of the jobs we had are high paying jobs that we're looking for, CRO, CMO type roles mm. that are going to kind of pull that number up. <laughs> so. Are we going to hire a bunch of CMOs? No, we'll probably hire a bunch of managers, and then we have one CMO salary. It's a lot higher, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, look, maybe it's better to say like, you know, not the average salary, but what's like, what's the middle salary of all this really going to be? And I mean, but I will say this: I think we, I think Ben understands get it, and this is some one of the reasons why I think we do a really good job in, in a short amount of time. I think we have very talented people um, at, at Misfits across the board. I think. I think our internally, uh, we have a lot of people that have a background, been in gaming a long time, been in partnerships a long time, been in operations and esports a long time. I would say um, one of the, one of the one of my favorite people at our org is, is our VP of operations, Danny. And he has probably some of the best stories I've ever heard. Him being in esports for thirteen plus years, he has these amazing stories about esports was back then. And I mean, especially in, in esports in Europe, which has been around for a long time. Some of the stuff yeah. they had to deal with um, in esports is just so bizarre. He's got the best story. So, like you, you know, we have a lot of people behind the scenes. That I think um, are, are know what they're doing, and I think Ben's willing to pay pay those people for it. So, yeah, I'm I'm seeing a content series here about like what esports used to be like. You know, 10, 13 years ago, I got some stories too. I mean, I think you could really put something out there. I mean, the stories he told me, I didn't believe, and I had to go ask Vouters, who was at fanatic before and sam and be like dude is this a true story they're like 100 percent true i was like there's no way these things yeah. happen they're like oh no that was esports back then it was like it was crazy well, i won't tell the story i'll let him tell it you got to get him on it he's it's the stories are nuts well it's everything from you know stages not being set up the day before the the expo's meant to go live to you know like uh after a counter-strike event some some you know drunk guy pretending as a knife and trying to fight like 30 of us in the street and things like that too like esports really was wild in those days yeah he he said there was so there was countries didn't know how to deal with like you know you know who who why who's renting out this place like what do we need all this it was just like venues had no idea what was really going on you say okay we're gonna have you know 100 people in here and they don't really know and then you get the yeah. staff being like well you can't use all this power <laughs> you know he's like what do you mean that's we're allowed to use it and it, it just crazy stories he has stuff where he's said he's had to like get equipment last second for stuff and you know 
it's just yeah it's it's amazing to see where it is now i think um and, and you know listen to you chris i think you always say like you know even even all the eyeballs on it now it's still pretty new a lot of people still are, are figuring out how to get into it so yeah you know we'll see it hopefully it keeps growing Still a long way to go. Yeah, yeah. I've got a special place in my heart with um, fighting with universities over internet and opening up ports. I feel like that was ninety percent of my life at land parties and yeah, inadequate internet. But those those universities been now they got some really serious speed. So uh, yeah, yeah, but it's whether they actually allow you to, uh, you know, whether they block Steam ports right, and everything right. like that. That's what, always the what, question. What campus firewalls are set up to? to not let you play your video games. But um, I think more, I think schools are, you know, you have obviously a lot of schools setting up esports programs, even just esports centers. Maybe they don't have a full team, but like they know that mm. recruiting talent or students, now they have to have these things. Like you have to have, you know, top-notch PCs in an area they can game and, and do all that sort of stuff. So, Yeah, I can't remember what the number was. I really wish I wrote it down, but it, it shocked me either way. It was something like, you know, in the hundreds of universities in in US have some sort of esports development pathway program and or scholarship mm-hmm. now. It's crazy. Yeah, it's they'll get more too, so yeah. 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 So what are you so what, what I mean as you know as we're coming to the end of the podcast, what are you looking out for in the future? Like are there any specific trends that you're tracking, any special games, any um bits in the market? I'm really intrigued to see if Fall Guys can continue its crazy success. Like, <laughs> is there going to be Fall Guys next year too? Is this going to be as popular? You know, My guess is no. I, I think so, no, too. But like, could a casual game like that really develop into an, uh, an esports league? <laughs> I've never, you know, I don't yeah, know. Could it? Maybe. Yeah. Who yeah. knows? Um, uh, you know, it's funny stuff like that. I always, I always wonder about. But on the serious side, like obviously with Valorant, what, how is you know, Riot's going to take what I think is is the slow approach, um, what they did with League of Legends and, and have, you know, third-party TOs like the ESLs run these things. What's the popularity like? More open, sort of like, you know, your Valve and Steam with with with, um, with their titles. Um, mm-hmm. And then also looking at seeing how these current leagues develop and grow. Obviously, it, it's uh, I have, a, I have a, a skin in the game, so I hope that Call of Duty can build on what they've seen this year. I think, I think if it wasn't for COVID, we we'd had even, we would have even bigger numbers for Call of Duty. I think it hurt a lot. Like you said, a lot of these guys are like, well, it's it's not on land, so it's not real, so I'm not going to watch it, sort of thing. Um, the numbers, believe it or not, were better before uh, COVID, before lockdown, before playing on on remote than they were on viewing on land, even like other viewership. So. Mm. And then with Overwatch, it's like can can they get? I think they found a, a decent formula with the, with the tournaments. Can they continue those? How do they morph their their league play and format into getting people back interested? I think we've seen viewership drop a little bit or here and there. I think, but the tournaments do a great job. You can look; the numbers are pretty straightforward. Like um, the tournaments they do are are ten x what they're seeing in the states from a viewership perspective in in the U.S. So. You know, just just those things. How do we how do we continue growing and getting either getting back to or growing more on top of um, what we've seen past successes on? Yeah, it's an interesting thing that I've I've seen some people comment on. Um, I think Duke.gg, Ben from there was talking about it as well as someone from Stream Hatchet saying that the esports viewership numbers as a whole 
um, especially in the West, have been slightly down over the coronavirus period. Whereas if you look at influencers and media, um, you know, like Riyad Chikani from the Gamers Group, a good friend of mine, you know, I think some of his websites are up, up to 300%. You know, a lot of influencers are up. And even for me on LinkedIn, you know, for like even our four week on four week, as in like the last four week block versus the four weeks before, which is a pretty common one that we're starting to track now, you know, we're even up 50%, a lot of my content on LinkedIn too. So it's, it's interesting to see, but, and that's like what I was saying, Ryan, you know, people talking about, yes, there's a lot of interest in esports, and you even see that in the, in the financial yearly report from, from Mogul, which is an Australian public listed company, you know, they also talk about that. Yeah, there's lots of interest, but is that revenue going to mature from there? You know, for them, it, ha- it hasn't yet, you know, for a lot of the people it hasn't, but say for influencers, it's nuts. You know, one of my friends has sold, you know, when coronavirus kind of started kicking off, he sold an extra million dollars worth of inventory pretty soon after that. And a lot of the brands were saying specifically, this is because of coronavirus and similar with some of the influencer work we've been doing as well. You know, these people have said, hey, you know, we've paused um, 100K worth of social ads, but we want to divert 20K of that into influencers just to test over this period of time. Yeah, I think, yeah. And I think absolutely from an influencer perspective, you have more people with downtime, more people getting into streaming, especially athletes, famous people. Um, shedding more light on it, then playing with other streamers who helps build their platform and make them even more popular and bigger. Um, we've mm. seen that happen quite a bit uh, over this mm. period of COVID. Um, yeah, I think from and from the leagues, like, you know, it was hard. I think leagues had a plan. Anytime that plan gets, I always say like, you know, these leagues are big. There's a lot of moving parts and moving pieces and employees and broadcasts. And I'll steal a line from Diddy. He says, it's hard to turn around an aircraft carrier. So, uh, you know, it takes time. And I think, but once you get it going, it works really well. Hopefully we can get it in the right direction. Um, but I think we are, I think we saw some really good successes at the end of the year with call of duty. Um, and I said like the tournaments for overwatch, um, like I said, their, their main melees and, countdown classics are the ones they do like in between some of their regular season matches have been really great viewership. So, um, yeah, I think we'll figure it out. Uh, they got, they got a lot of good people there at those, at those places. So we'll figure it out. Yeah. If nothing else, something that's always interested me about Call of Duty is I feel like the concurrent viewership for the esports league versus the following of the plays is quite high compared to anything else. Like if you look at CSGO, you know, even the E-League finals, I think 2018 was the first Twitch stream to crack over a million concurrent viewers. And a lot of the CSGO and Dota 2 majors have much higher concurrent viewership than say the Call of Duty finals, which was like 335K. But it's not that common to see Counter-Strike players with 400K plus followers or even 200K plus followers, even in the tier one, a lot of the time, you know, many of the players are sitting like the 100 Thieves guys, a lot of them are sitting around 20 to 100 kind of thing. But it's quite common to see Call of Duty players who also create a lot of content to be having 400, 600, 800, even the guys who've retired, you know, looking at Nade Shot and Scump and people like that too. So it's, yeah. it's been a really interesting thing for me. It makes me wonder whether, you know, they just resonate with those players just much more than they do with, with other games and leagues. It's not often, you know, even Dota 2, all the OG players, it's barely, you'd barely see any of those guys above 100, 200K at all. Like the, like literally the OG players, but also Secret and, you know, Cloud9, Liquid, and all these kind of people. Yeah, I think that's um, it's a good point. I think from from a Call of Duty perspective, it, it's a very rabid fan base. That ba- that fan base is uh, very passionate about their call, their COD. So yeah, um, they really like to, you know, support who they support. And also, don't support. You know, they make it known who they don't support too. So, uh, but it's a very engaged fan base, and I think you see that they they stay fans of these guys. 
long after they're done playing competitively. And, um, you know, that's what we're trying to capture. Can we capture the CWL fans? Can we capture COD players? The, the COD gaming community is massive, more so people playing COD than watching it. So if we can capture a few of those guys with great personalities from these ex-pros or current pros, can they find a likeness? Can they find someone they, they like watching? Can we then tap that into them getting into the league? So, you know, we'll see how that goes. But so far, I think, yeah, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of great personalities out there. Yeah, fantastic, man. So if anyone wants to follow or connect with you online or your team, where's the best place to do so? Um, so let's see, all of our all of our stuff's pretty much saying misfits gg um across the board. So Twitch, Twitter, um, FL uh, Mayhem for Mayhem, Mutineers for Mutineers. Um, yeah, so website, misfitsgaming.gg. So, yeah, hit us up. Uh, if you ever have any questions, let me know. If Jake's still watching, tell Jake I say hey. So, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, yeah, we're happy to answer and connect. Fantastic. Well, thanks for coming on, man. It's been a good, it's been a good, pretty like casual, laid back, honest chat. So, I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Yeah, no, it's been great. Happy to happy to be on. So uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Fantastic. Well, thanks, mate. And thanks to everyone, uh, whether you're tuning in live now on LinkedIn, on the video-only version of the podcast, or the audio-only version, Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, wherever else. Feel free to leave us a review, like, comment, subscribe, and all that kind of jazz. We'll see you again soon. Uh, next week, we're doing a deep dive into Brazil with INTS, which is uh, the team that just won the Brazilian League of Legends Championships for the fifth time as a whole, talking about their local scene and, and also how even the local Brazilian finals actually got more concurrent viewers than the Call of Duty Global Finals which is something I want to dive into about the Rabbit fan base. And then the week after that, we've got Jeff Pabst, the chief, the chief revenue officer of FaZe, coming back again. So can't wait to talk about some more drops and to get some numbers from him like we did last time in an honest conversation. Thanks, guys. Bye for now.